Chapter Nineteen of the Spirit of the Border by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Nineteen. One evening, a week or more after the disappearance of Jim and the girls, George Young and David Edwards, the missionaries, sat on the cabin steps, gazing disconsolately upon the forest scenery. Hard as had been the ten years of their labor among the Indians, nothing had shaken them as the loss of their young friends. Dave, I tell you your theory about seeing them again is absurd, asserted George. I'll never forget that wretch Gertie as he spoke to Nell. Why, she just wilted like a flower blasted by fire. I can't understand why he let me go and kept Jim unless the shawnee had something to do with it i never wished until now that i was a hunter i'd go after gertie you've heard as well as i of his many atrocities i'd rather have seen kate and nell dead than have them fall into his power i'd rather have killed them myself young had aged perceptibly in these last few days the blue veins showed at his temples his face had become thinner and paler, and his eyes had a look of pain, the former expression of patience which had set so well on him was gone. George, I can't account for my fancies or feelings, else perhaps I'd be easier in mind, answered Dave. His face too showed the ravages of grief. I've had queer thoughts lately and dreams such as I never had before. Perhaps it's this trouble which has made me so nervous. I don't seem able to pull myself together. I can neither preach nor work. Neither can I. This trouble has hit you as hard as it has me. But, Dave, we've still our duty to endure, to endure. That is our life. Because a beam of sunshine brightened for a brief time the gray of our lives and then faded away. We must not shirk or grow sour and discontented. But how cruel is this border life? Nature itself is brutal. Yes, I know, and we have elected to spend our lives here in the midst of this ceaseless strife, to fare poorly, to have no pleasure, never to feel the comfort of a woman's smiles nor the joy of a child's caress, all because out in the woods are ten or twenty or a hundred savages we may convert. That is why, and it is enough. It is hard to give up the women you love to a black-souled renegade, but that is not for my thought. What kills me is the horror for her. For her. I, too, suffer with that thought. More than that, I am morbid and depressed. I feel as if some calamity awaited us here. I've never been superstitious, nor have I had presentiments, but of late there are strange fears in my mind. At this juncture, Mr. Wells and Heckwelder came out of the adjoining cabin. I have had word of a trustworthy runner today. Gertie and his captives have not been seen in the Delaware towns, said Heckwelder. It is most unlikely that he will take them to the towns, replied Edwards. What do you make of his capturing Jim? For Pipe, perhaps. The Delaware's wolf is snapping his teeth. Pipe is particularly opposed to Christianity, and 
What's that? A low whistle from the bushes near the creek bank attracted the attention of all. The younger men got up to investigate, but Heckwelder detained them. Wait, he added. There is no telling what that signal may mean. They waited with breathless interest. Presently the whistle was repeated, and an instant later the tall figure of a man stepped from behind a thicket. He was a white man, but not recognizable at that distance, even if a friend. The stranger waved his hand, as if asking them to be cautious and come to him. They went toward the thicket, and when within a few paces of the man, Mr. Wells exclaimed, "'It's the man who guided my party to the village. It is Wetzel.' The other missionaries had never seen the hunter, though, of course they were familiar with his name, and looked at him with great curiosity. The hunter's buckskin garments were wet, torn, and covered with burrs. Dark spots, evidently bloodstains, showed on his hunting shirt. Wetzel interrogated Heckwelder. The hunter nodded and took a step behind the bush. Bending over, he lifted something from the ground. It was a girl. It was Nell. She was very white, but alive. A faint, glad smile lighted up her features. Not a word was spoken. With an expression of tender compassion, Mr. Wells received her into his arms. The four missionaries turned fearful, questioning eyes upon the hunter, but they could not speak. "'She's well and unharmed,' said Wetzel, reading their thoughts. "'Only worn out. I've carried her these ten miles.' "'God bless you, Wetzel!' exclaimed the old missionary. "'Nellie, Nellie, can you speak?' "'Uncle, dear, I'm all right.' came the faint whisper. "'Kate, what of her?' whispered George Young, with lips as dry as corn husks. "'I did my best,' said the hunter, with a simple dignity. Nothing but the agonized appeal in the young man's eyes could have made Wetzel speak of his achievement. "'Tell us,' broke in Heckwelder, seeing that fear had stricken George dumb. "'We trailed him and got away with the golden-haired lass.' The last I saw of Joe, he was braced up against a rock, fighting like a wildcat. I tried to cut Jim loose as I was going by. I spect the worst for the brothers and the other lass. Can we do nothing? asked Mr. Wells. Nothing. Wetzel, has the capturing of James Downs any significance to you? inquired Heckwelder. I reckon so. What? Pipe and his white breadskin allies are again Christianity. Do you think we are in danger? I reckon so. What do you advise? Pack up a few of your traps, take the lash, and come with me. I'll see you back in Fort Henry. Eckwelder nervously walked up to the tree and back again. Young and Edwards looked blankly at one another. They both remembered Edward's presentiment. Mr. Wells uttered an angry exclamation. You ask us to fail in our duty? No, never, to go back to the white settlements and acknowledge we were afraid to continue teaching the gospel to the Indians? You cannot understand Christianity if you advise that. You have no religion. You are a killer of Indians. A shadow that might have been one of pain flitted over the hunter's face. No, I ain't a Christian, and I am a killer of Indians, said Wetzel, and his deep voice had a strange tremor. I don't know nothing much except the woods and fields. 
and if there's a god for me he's out there under the trees and grass mr wells you're the first man has ever called me a coward and i overlook it because of your calling i advise you to go back to fort henry because if you don't go now the chances are against your ever going christianity or no christianity such men as you have no business in these woods i thank you for your advice and bless you for your rescue of this child but i cannot leave my work nor can i understand why all this good work we have done should be called useless we have converted indians saved their souls is that not being of some use of some good here it's according to how you look at it now i know the bark of an oak is different according to the side we see from i'll allow hatin indians as i do it's no reason you oughtn't to try and convert em but you're bringing on a war these engines won't allow this village a piece here with its big fields of corn and shops and work and redskins it's again their nature you're only sacrificing your christian indians what do you mean asked mr wells startled by wetzel's words enough i'm ready to guide you to fort henry i'll never go wetzel looked at the other men no one would have doubted him no one could have failed to see he knew some terrible danger hovered over the village of peace i believe you wetzel but i cannot go said heckewelder with white face i will stay said george steadily and i said dave wetzel nodded and turned to depart when george grasped his arm the young missionary's face was drawn and haggard he fixed an intense gaze upon the hunter wetzel listen his voice was low and shaken with deep feeling i am a teacher of god's word and i am as earnest in that purpose as you are in your life work i shall die here i shall fill an unmarked grave but i shall have done the best i could this is the life destiny has marked out for me and i will live it as best i may but in this moment creature as i am i would give all i have or hope to have all the little good i may have done all my life to be such a man as you for i would avenge the woman i loved to torture to kill gertie i am only a poor weak fellow who would be lost a mile from this village and if not would fall before the youngest brave but you with your glorious strength your incomparable woodcraft you are the man to kill gertie rid the frontier of this fiend kill him wetzel kill him i beseech you for the sake of some sweet girl who even now may be on her way to this terrible country and who may fall into gertie's power for her sake wetzel kill him trail him like a bloodhound and when you find him remember my broken heart remember nell remember oh god remember poor kate young's voice broke into dry sobs he had completely exhausted himself so that he was forced to lean against the tree for support wetzel never spoke a word he stretched out his long brawny arm and gripped the young missionary's shoulder his fingers clasped hard simple without words as the action was it could not have been more potent and then as he stood the softer look faded slowly from his face a ripple seemed to run over his features which froze as it subsided into a cold stone rigidity 
His arm dropped, he stepped past the tree, and bounding lightly as a deer, cleared the creek and disappeared in the bushes. Mr. Wells carried Nell to his cabin, where she lay for hours with wan face and listless languor. She swallowed the nourishing drink an old Indian nurse forced between her teeth. She even smiled weakly when the missionaries spoke to her. But she said nothing, nor seemed to rally from her terrible shock. A dark shadow lay always before her, conscious of nothing present, living over again her frightful experience. Again she seemed sunk in dull apathy. Dave, we're going to lose Nell. She's fading slowly, said George, one evening, several days after the girl's return. Wetzel said she was unharmed, yet she seems to have received a hurt more fatal than a physical one. It's her mind, her mind. If we cannot brighten her up to make her forget, she'll die. We've done all within our power. If she could only be brought out of this trance, she lies there all day long with those staring eyes. I can't look into them. They're the eyes of a child who has seen murder. We must try in some way to get her out of this stupor. And I have an idea. Have you noticed that Mr. Wells has failed very much in the last few weeks? Indeed I have, and I'm afraid he's breaking down. He has grown so thin, eats very little, and doesn't sleep. He's old, you know, and despite his zeal, this border life is telling on him. Dave, I believe he knows it. Poor, earnest old man. He never says a word about himself. Yet he must know that he is going downhill. Well, we all begin sooner or later that descent which ends in the grave. I believe we might stir Nellie by telling her Mr. Wells' health is breaking. Let us try. A hurried knock on the door interrupted their conversation. Come in, said Edwards. The door opened to admit a man, who entered eagerly. "'Jim! Jim!' exclaimed both missionaries, throwing themselves upon the newcomer. It was indeed Jim, but no answering smile lighted his worn, distressed face while he wrung his friend's hands. "'You're not hurt?' asked Dave. "'No, I'm uninjured.' "'Tell us all. Did you escape? Did you see your brother? Did you know Wetzel rescued Nell?' Wingenund set me free in spite of many demands for my death. He kept Joe a prisoner, and intends to kill him, for the lad was Wetzel's companion. I saw the hunter come into the glade where we camped, break through the line of fighting Indians, and carry Nell off. Kate, faltered Young, with ashen face. George, I wish to God I could tell you she is dead, answered Jim, nervously pacing the room. But she was well when I last saw her. She endured the hard journey better than either Nell or I. Gertie did not carry her into the encampment, as Silvertip did Joe and me. But the renegade left us on the outskirts of the Delaware town. There was a rocky ravine with dense undergrowth, where he disappeared with his captive. I suppose he has his den somewhere in that ravine. George sank down and buried his face in his arms. Neither movement nor sound betokened consciousness. As Wetzel come in with Nell, Joe said he had a cave where he might have taken her in case of illness or accident. Uh, yes, he brought her back, answered Edward slowly. 
I want to see her, said Jim, his haggard face expressing a keen anxiety. She's not wounded, hurt, ill. No, nothing like that. It's a shock which she can't get over, can't forget. I must see her, cried Jim, moving toward the door. Don't go, replied Dave, detaining him. Wait. We must see what's best to be done. Wait till Heckwelder comes. He'll be here soon. Nell thinks you're dead, and the surprise might be bad for her. Heckwelder came in at that moment and shook hands warmly with Jim. The Delaware runner told me you were here. I am overjoyed that Wingenund freed you, said the missionary. It is a most favorable sign. I have heard rumors from Goshocking and Sandusky that have worried me. This good news more than offsets the bad. I'm sorry about your brother. Are you well? Well, but miserable. I want to see Nell. Dave tells me she is not exactly ill, but something is wrong with her. Perhaps I ought not to see her just yet. It'll be exactly the tonic for her, replied Heckewelder. She'll be surprised out of herself. She is morbid, apathetic, and, try as we may, we can't interest her. Come at once. Heckwelder had taken Jim's arm and started for the door when he caught sight of Young, sitting bowed and motionless. Turning to Jim, he whispered, Kate? Gertie did not take her into the encampment, answered Jim in a low voice. I hoped he would, because the Indians are kind. But he didn't. He took her to his den. Just then Young raised his face. The despair in it would have melted a heart of stone. It had become the face of an old man. If only you'd told me she had died, he said to Jim. I'd have been man enough to stand it. But this, this kills me. I can't breathe. He staggered into the adjoining room where he flung himself upon a bed. It's hard, and he won't be able to stand up under it, for he's not strong, whispered Jim. Heckwelder was a mild, pious man, in whom no one would ever expect strong passion. But now depths were stirred within his heart that had ever been tranquil. He became livid, and his face was distorted with rage. It's bad enough to have these renegades plotting and working against our religion, to have them so discontent, spread lies, make the Indians think we have axes to grind, to plant the only obstacle in our path. All this is bad. But to doom an innocent white woman to worse than death, what can I call it? What can we do? asked Jim. Do, that's the worst of it. We can do nothing, nothing. We dare not move. Is there no hope of getting Kate back? Hope? None. That villain is surrounded by his savages. He'll lie low now for a while. I've heard of such deeds many a time, but it never before came so close home. Kate Wells was a pure, loving Christian woman. She'll live an hour, a day, a week, perhaps, in that snake's clutches. And then she'll die. Thank God. Wetzel has gone on Gertie's trail. I know that from his manner when he left us, said Edwards. Wetzel may avenge her, but he can never save her. It's too late. Hello? The exclamation was called forth by the appearance of Young, who entered with a rifle in his hands. 
George, where are you going with that gun? asked Edwards, grasping his friend by the arm. I'm going after her, answered George wildly. He tottered as he spoke, but wrenched himself free from Dave. Come, George, listen, listen to reason, interposed Heckwelder, laying hold of Young. You're frantic with grief now. So are all of us. But calm yourself. Why, man, you're a preacher, not a hunter. You'd be lost. You'd starve in the woods before getting halfway to the Indian town. This is terrible enough. Don't make it worse by throwing your life away. Think of us, your friends. Think of your Indian pupils who rely so much on you. Think of the village of peace. We can pray, but we can't prevent these border crimes. With civilization, with the spread of Christianity, they will pass away. Bear up under this blow for the sake of your work. Remember we alone can check such barbarity. But we must not fight. We must sacrifice all that men hold dear for the sake of the future. He took the rifle away from George and led him back into the little dark room. Closing the door, he turned to Jim and Dave. He's in a bad way, and we must carefully watch him for a few days. Think of George starting out to kill Gertie, exclaimed Dave. I never fired a gun, but yet I'd go too. So would we all, if we did as our hearts dictate, retorted Heckwelder, turning fiercely upon Dave as if stung. Man, we have a village full of Christians to look after. What would become of them? I tell you, we've all we can do here to outwit those border ruffians. Simon Gertie is plotting our ruin. I heard it today from the Delaware runner, who is my friend. He is jealous of our influence when all we desire is to save these poor Indians. And Jim Gertie has killed our happiness. Can we ever recover from the misery brought upon us by poor Kate's fate? The missionary raised his hand as if to exhort some power above. Curse the Gerties! he exclaimed in a sudden burst of uncontrollable passion. Having conquered all other obstacles, must we fail because of wicked men of our own race? Oh, curse them! Come, he said presently, in a voice which trembled with the effort he made to be calm. We'll go in to Nellie. The three men entered Mr. Wells' cabin. The old missionary, with bowed head and hands clasped behind his back, was pacing to and fro. He greeted Jim with glad surprise. "'We want Nellie to see him,' whispered Heckwelder. "'We think the surprise will do her good.' "'I trust it may,' said Mr. Wells. "'Leave it to me.' They followed Heckwelder into an adjoining room. A torch flickered over the rude mantel-shelf, lighting up the room with fitful flare. It was a warm night, and the soft breeze coming in the window alternately paled and brightened the flame. Jim saw Nell lying on the bed. Her eyes were closed, and her long dark lashes seemed black against the marble paleness of her skin. "'Stand behind me,' whispered Heckwelder to Jim. "'Nellie,' he called softly, but only a faint flickering of her lashes answered him. "'Nellie?' "'Nellie,' repeated Heckwelder, his deep, strong voice thrilling. Her eyes opened. They gazed at Mr. Wells on one side, at Edward standing at the foot of the bed, at Heckwelder leaning over her. But there was no recognition or interest in her look. "'Nellie, can you understand me?' asked Heckwelder. 
putting into his voice all the power and intensity of feeling of which he was capable an almost imperceptible shadow of understanding shone in her eyes listen you have had a terrible shock and it has affected your mind you are mistaken in what you think what you dream of all the time do you understand you are wrong nell's eyes quickened with a puzzled questioning doubt the minister's magnetic penetrating voice had pierced her dull brain see i have brought you jim eckwelder stepped aside as jim fell on his knees by the bed he took her cold hands in his and bent over her for the moment his voice failed the doubt in nell's eyes changed to a wondrous gladness it was like the rekindling of a smoldering fire jim she whispered yes nelly it's jim alive and well it's jim come back to you a soft flush stained her white face she slipped her arm tenderly around his neck and held her cheek close to his jim she murmured nelly don't you know me asked mr wells trembling excited this was the first word she had spoken in four days uncle she exclaimed suddenly loosening her hold on jim and sitting up in bed then gazing wildly at the others was it all a horrible dream mr wells took her hand soothingly but he did not attempt to answer her question he looked helplessly at heckwalder but that missionary was intently studying the expression on nell's face part of it was a dream he answered impressively then that horrible man did take us away yes oh but we're, we're free now this is my room oh tell me yes nelly you're safe at home now tell tell me she cried shudderingly as she leaned close to jim and raised a white imploring face to his where is kate oh jim say say she wasn't left with gertie kate is dead answered jim quickly he could not endure the horror in her eyes he deliberately intended to lie as had heckwelder it was as if the tension of nell's nerves was suddenly relaxed the relief from her worst fear was so great that her mind took in only the one impression then presently a choking cry escaped her to be followed by a paroxysm of sobs end of chapter nineteen of the spirit of the border by zane gray recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio